0: Good morning. We get to finish, finish 1 Corinthians this week. It was a little bit of a surprise, so I'm going to ask for grace putting this together this week, kind of at the last minute. But this is such a powerful passage that I really trust that God's going to speak to us, so let's ask Him to do that. Lord God, your word is sharper. Than any two-edged sword, it's alive. And God, we desire that your word come to us today with effect. That God, it calls us closer to you. For those that don't know you, God, I pray that it brings them to you. Have your way with us. God, I pray that you protect your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 16. Now, Dan got us through verse 10, so we're going to go 12 to the end and try and wrap things up. Now, there are a number of little pieces in here that we're going to slide together, but there is a consistent theme. You'll see that it isn't just a bunch of closing remarks with a bunch of pithy commands stuck in there. There is kind of a consistency that waves through the end of this chapter, and so hopefully we can pull those together. But we're going to read it first. And we're going to read the first couple of verses. We're going to start in verse 10. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work as I am also. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace. So that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Verse 12. But concerning Apollos, our brother... I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now we're going to stop there first. And I'm going to focus on those last two verses, 13 and 14, for a second, because that's going to set up what's going to come between verses 10 to 12, and then at the end, Paul gives us kind of a view of what these two verses look like with the surrounding context. So first it says in 13, he says, Be alert. Now, I need to set one little thing up here. Be alert. Paul knows, as he travels back and forth, he has a mission. The men's retreat this weekend was going to be called, and it's going to be called in November, A Man and His Mission. We've been called for a duty. We've been called not only to love God and glorify God, but to work. In Matthew 28, it says, You go and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you you have a job we're left here for a mission and as Danny talked about we're going to be derailed we're going to be distracted from that mission over and over and over again and so there's a battle there and if you don't choose to be part of the battle then you don't really need to be alert either Right? What are you going to be alert for? There's nobody coming to get you. There's really nothing for you to do. Instead of being part of the battle, you're going to watch your grass grow. So this doesn't pertain to you. But if God has called you to himself, then he's given you this mission. Whether you want to accept that mission or you don't want to accept that mission, this is who you are. You have... A duty. You have a calling. You are in a battle for the souls of men. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to be peacemakers, right? Matthew 5. Our job is to bring other men and women into peace with God, and that is not sissy work. And so Paul starts off here and he says, Be alert. Be alert, Corinthians. I've gone all the way through the first 14 chapters telling you all these places where false teachers have snuck in, where apathy has snuck in, where your arrogance has snuck in and has made you ineffective. Because you weren't being alert. What happened to you, Corinthians, he says? I was with you for all that time, and I discipled you. Who snuck in and did this to you? You were asleep. Wake up! So he starts off by saying, be alert. We have a battle-mindedness. This this, be alert, be focused, be awake is used 22 times in the New Testament. I was a little amazed at that many. But it's because God knew that we have this tendency... (laughs) To just go to sleep on the job, don't we? As things start getting a little easy and the income's coming in, got that good job. I remember after getting my first job, driving home saying, God, I am set. Now, I was praying this. I got insurance now. Now, I'll tell you that the frame of mind was, I have insurance, therefore I don't need you. I can tell you that was my thinking because I was set if something happened to my family now cool I got I got covered got insurance now I don't And, and I get home and and somebody gets a little sicker than insurance can cover and it didn't take me a week to go I see I see wake up be alert there are a couple of things he tells us to be alert for. Specifically with the Corinthians here, he's saying, look, be alert to false teachers. Now, we know, because we've spent all this time in 1 Corinthians, that these people snuck in there and started teaching all these heresies. All these things about the resurrection isn't going to happen, or the resurrection has already happened, or all these things to distract these people. Because, you know, the devil can't take away your salvation. Once you're saved, you got it. But he can distract you. Right? He can pull you away and make you ineffective because oh, I'm busy. Or, or you start thinking wrongly about the Savior and you, you start losing his characters, right? You start questioning his character. Well, is he really? I don't know if I really want to work for him or not. And you're distracted and you're ineffective. He may not be able to take your salvation, but he can sure make you ineffective. Be alert. Now, we're a good fundamental church here. <laughs> Ain't no false teacher going to make his way in here. We're all too smart for that. We know what the word says. We're protected. Okay. I'll give us that one because we are really, we we pray, God, protect your word here. That doesn't mean somebody can't slide in and start teaching some law. The Bible says that, you know, in the end, people are going to want their ears tickled. And they're actually going to invite liars, false teachers, into their community groups to teach them stuff that's wrong. Because it's educational. It's it's you know, it, that's the way we're we're all highly educated people and 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 we want to hear what the culture is about and and they'll actually invite false teachers in to teach their community group. Or teach at their church. Be alert. Be alert. Ephesians six twenty two be alert and keep on praying for all the saints. This week has been a time. I was going to make it through this. In, wow. In this network of churches, there is a very tightly integrated leadership structure. We all know each other. We pray for each other. We kind of know what's happening in each other's lives. We meet once a quarter here for northern Colorado. and We get reports from all these places. And you hear the struggles. You hear struggles in families. You hear where, you know, this family is struggling, keeping things together. They're going to take some time and and pull things back together. Um, After having babies, some of the people are, are struggling. And you know that these saints are doing God's work. And as we're alert, and we know that this battle is going on, we're praying for those that are doing the work. Right? And, and this week just made that so obvious because this sent a shockwave. The thing in Wilmington really sent a shockwave through the leadership of the entire network just like that. And you see how tightly wound together this network is. And so we're to be alert and keep on praying. Praying for all the saints, Ephesians 6.18. What else are we to be alert to? First Peter 4.18 this is one, as I read this, came to mind right away. Be alert. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to pick off. You kind of get off to the side and say, you know, I really don't need fellowship. i have my own God time. I don't really need to be part of the battle, but I'm God's. If you are God's, Satan is coming after you. If you are effective, if you're being called to pray and to minister and to call people back into a relationship with God, you are a target. And the devil is going to try to find a way to pick you off. Be alert. You go home and you see that you're, for some reason, I'm just mad at my wife this week. What is it? Or my kids, I'm frustrated. I'm, what is it? Red flags, red flags should be going up all over the place, right? I am acting in a way that is not consistent with being a son of God, being a child of God. I'm not acting consistent. Something's wrong. Red flags should go up everywhere. Be alert because the devil's coming in and he's trying to get at you. Be alert. Don't let him in. When you see that coming, go to your room, close your door, get on your face. And say, God, I don't know what's going on, but protect me. You're being alert. You're knowing the attack is there. Stand up to it. Or kneel down for it. Maybe that's a better way to say that. Temptation. Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Right? Oh, you know, if I just look at this one thing, that ain't no big deal. I got control over that gentlemen you know how that goes one click oops an hour later you're thinking oh my goodness that is not consistent with a man of God what happened you were not alert to temptation temptation came it sprouted Bible says by your own evil desires you're led away and enticed you've got to see that coming you see yourself being led away run be alert to temptation temptation Apathy, we kind of talked about that one. Jesus tells the church in Revelation 3: wake up and be strengthened, finish the work I told you to do. Stop sleeping and watching the grass grow. You have a job. And if you don't want to do it, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to sneak back in like a thief, and you're going to go, "Uh uh-oh. Because you weren't watching, you weren't about God's business. You were about building your kingdom. You're not about building God's kingdom. And God came in and you didn't even recognize him. Don't get apathetic. Be alert to apathy. The next one he he goes into. Stand firm. Stand firm. Again, the context here is doctrinal. There are certain things in the church. There are certain topics that are simply not open to discussion. Stand firm. If somebody comes and says, you know, all roads lead to heaven. You can't tell me that there's truth. You can't tell me that you Christians have a corner on the market of the whole God thing. Yes, I can. In fact, I won't say it. God says it. And it's not open for discussion. You're not open-minded. You're right. Because I'm correct. I don't have to be open-minded. Now that, any of you that are in here that are kind of liberal, that really just shocked you. Uh... I'll f- ask forgiveness for my crassness But I don't have to be open-minded I know that two plus two is equal to four and you can argue with me all day long I'm a mathematician. I know that And so I don't have to discuss it very long. I can just walk on I know that Jesus Christ is the son of God who came who died for my sins and I can worship him And he is going to usher me in to the presence of God. I know that now, you can go somewhere and deny it and discuss it all you want, but it's not open for discussion in my book. You can tell me how wrong I am, and I can just tune you out. I can stand firm in certain things that the Bible gives me, like God does not change. Right? Just what Danny was talking about. Sometimes we can get confused because our view of the world looks through a filter called sin. And we do not understand the perfect, omnipotent plan of God. And what we see is this confusing conglomerate of activity and situations, and we go, is God sovereign? Is God really good? How can... Oh. The Bible is not movable in God's character. God is good, not just good, but infinitely good. In fact, God contains all the good. In order for you to be good, you have to... This is going to be a long discussion. But God is infinitely good, and that's not a questionable thing. So when I go and I sit at the coffee shop and somebody says, And how can you say God is good when that happened?" Because God said he's good, and God can't lie. It's not questionable. Stand firm. Don't let your faith get rocked because the devil slid in and pulled a couple of bricks off of something and you see the building. Ah, God's got it covered. God's got it covered. Don't let your faith be shaken. Stand firm, he says. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of the great verses that I love is a verse that says that God's will cannot Be frustrated. And the reason that means so much to me is, one, I'm a child of God. And I work for God. And so I know that his plan is going to work. So I am in a winning team. The stock is always going up. Right? It may do this and look funny to me, but it's always going up. And in the end, when I cash out, I'm in glory. God's will will never be frustrated. Now, my will, on the other hand... Any of you who have children know that gravity can frustrate your will. Right? I try to keep the carpet clean. Something as dumb as a dog can frustrate your will if he doesn't shut up. Right? So many, I mean, just the simplest, little, minute things in life And flip you upside down. And the older I get, the more I see how simple it is to frustrate me. And I know that God's will cannot be frustrated. And that is another unquestionable truth that I can stand firm in. If I don't understand something, it's because I'm too simple not to understand. And I ask a lot of questions. But in the end, I know in the beginning, God And I can stand firm in that. Next one he says is be men. Now, when you uh, try and put a sermon together fast, one of the things you do is download two hours of sermons, go for a long walk, and listen to how other godly men have processed this. I heard more mistakes on this verse just from passionate men. There'll be no sissies in the church. I mean, just they're beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. Be men, be men of courage, be mature men of courage is the connotation of this verse. Okay, if we go back to to some of the other places in first Corinthians, uh, chapter 14, verse 20 and, and chapter three, verses one through four, where Paul is telling them over and over and over. You're so immature, grow up. I wanted to feed you steak, but you couldn't handle it. So I had to feed you milk. I had to tell you the little baby things of the faith because you just couldn't handle it. You kept falling over. He says, in your thinking, you're childish. Stop being childish in your thinking. You are in a battle, and you know what? The bullets are real. Now, my boys and I went out and got some new airsoft guns yesterday because we're going to go on a battle when we go camping, and we're going to shoot the snot out of each other. And it's Maybe you shouldn't say that from the pulpit. But we have a good time. It's great fellowship, somehow. But it's, it's a game. It's a game. When I get hit, it hurts. I turn around and, and it's just a great time. But it's childish. It's childish. We know it's a childish game. What Paul is telling them is grow up. These bullets are not pretend, these bullets take out families, these bullets can drop men. That have been living godly lives for a long time and can just drop them and take entire churches out. It's not a game. Be mature in your thinking. Be men in your thinking. Men of courage. Because this is a battle. And there are no... See, I'm about to say it too. There's no wimps... Running after the gates of hell when he says this is my church and nothing the gates of hell will not stand against this I'm giving you this ministry of reconciliation I want you to go out and I want you to find those people who do not have a relationship with me And I want you to drag them and free them. It's almost like a POW mission, right? You are headed out to find these these people and you're going to free them from the bondage of sin and death and take them out and that's not for cowards as you run out there and they're shooting and they're, all, the, all the flaming arrows of the evil one are coming at you. But you have to keep going. And men and women, if you're not courageous, you see that coming and you are going to turn around and you're going to run. But God wanted you there. That was your mission. Those people are still in sin, in bondage, waiting for you to come and give them the message. Now God is sovereign, praise God. And he has a lot of soldiers doing his business. And his will would not be frustrated even by your fear. But for our blessing, he says, Be men. Be courageous. Take on the gates. No sleeping. Wake up. Be alert. Be strong. Now, God knows our heart here. He knows he made us. And before Jesus left, he said this, he said, look, in this world, the mission I'm giving you is beyond your capability. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take courage because I've already overcome it. I've overcome the world. The greatest obstacle that you're going to fight, I've already taken it over. You be obedient to me. Next, be strong. Be strong. You feel all these... We got B-men. Be strong. I love it. Makes me want to go run, Scott. Let's go. No, that was a joke. Be strong. Ephesians 6 again. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the principalities, against the authorities of this dark world. The battle that we're in does not require us to be doing this. Okay, some of us need to do this, maybe a little more, but but that's not what it requires when he says be strong of course he means be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power take on God's strength in fact this word be strong really is passive it means be strengthened that's original be strengthened and how do you get strengthened now this was fun because this is what I've been studying which means now is when I can really start preaching I've been studying, what does it mean to walk by faith? We use all these Christian phrases, church phrases, and so often I hear this, well, let's just walk by faith, give it to Jesus, walk by faith, walk in the power of the Spirit. Okay, my feet have leather on them. It's physical. What does that mean? And so over the last couple of months, I've been reading books and and really digging into what does it mean to walk by faith? And the answer is kind of simple. But it does tie into this. How are you to be strengthened in the Lord? Does anyone wake up in the morning and feel inherently non-spiritual? Maybe it's just me. There are times that I'll wake up in the morning and I'm singing already. I was singing before I woke up and I'm singing after I woke up. And God is the creator of the universe. Hallelujah. And I'm just on fire. I'm ready to get to the coffee shop in hopes that somebody's sitting at my table. Because it's just gonna come it's coming. I'm excited. I'm excited to be a child of God. I'm excited to have this mission He's given me. And there's other days when I get up and and it isn't just apathy, I don't care. I don't want to get out of bed. Well, I guess I want to get out of bed because I'm hungry. But I'm only physically hungry. My spiritual fire is kind of smoldering now. It's not on fire. It's not heated up. I need to be strengthened. I need to walk by faith right now. What do you do? And this is a great discussion for people. Maybe you're in prayer share. What do you do? And I have a number of things. I go to I go to building fires. I sometimes put my iPod on and I pump I don't know what decibels, but how about a thousand decibels of worship music in my ear and just go hide and just praise God. And, and in a few minutes I went from not caring to on fire. You've got to kindle that up. If you're, if you're a contra, if you're a, if you're a builder and you wake up in the morning and your back is sore and you know, you've got to carry two by fours all day. What do you do? Well, somehow you fix it because you're trying to make a living. And if you can't lift those and carry those things, you can't work. Okay, well if your mission is a spiritual mission and you need to be reconciling people back to God and leading your family to God and washing your wife in the Word and you wake up dead, spiritually just asleep and kind of, ugh, what do you do? You fix it. And you've got to have strategies in place to be strengthened. Is there a psalm that you love the best? That you read and it just fires you up? Is there an author that when you read him, it just goes right to your soul and lifts you up and you're ready to go and you can do this quickly? Gather those things. Say, here's the top five things. If this doesn't work, I go to the next thing. You've got to be strengthened in the Lord. And as you seek God, he says, he promises, you seek me, you will find me it's a promise if you go after God he is there for you and he's going to rekindle that fire and start you burning again some of our fires haven't been burning in a long time and I encourage you to find a way to get burning get burning I need to close up here in the next couple of minutes everything that you do do in love the word love here is agape now that matters because of another verse we're going to read here in a minute It means that perfect, selfless love. Paul is talking to a church that does not know how to interact with each other lovingly. They only interact with each other selfishly. They're in a battle. You know the fastest way to make a church ineffective? Make them work without caring about each other. If you're in a mission and you have a squad and you are going to get those POWs out, as a group and some of them say you know I really don't like going there I'd rather go over here or you know I really don't like the color shoes you wear so I'm not going or you know, whatever it is even if it's just petty things and some of the things aren't so petty but if, if Satan can get us acting unlovingly toward one another our mission is over until we regroup figure it all out Get us understanding how to love one another, we're ineffective. And he's won for that period of time. That little battle, he won. Do everything in love. Now, we get together a lot, the leaders, that, and there are very idealistic and strong-willed men here. And there are times when we butt heads. Not we're butt heads, that we butt heads. And <laughs> And Tom Harkis has a great phrase for this. He calls it sparking. And if you are not sparking with other men, then you're not moving anywhere. You're not moving anywhere because you've got passionate men. And passionate men are messy. That's it. People with passion are messy. And you're going to spark against each other and there's going to be flare-ups. But if you're always remembering what I'm doing is for the betterment of the kingdom and what I'm thinking is for the building up of these people, whoever I'm with, then sparking takes on a new tone. Right? Because if you do step over that line and sin, you're right there to ask forgiveness and go, oh, yeah, I went there. I'm sorry about that. Forgive me for that. Work through it right, in, right now. There is no time. There's no delay of being ineffective. It's fixed right there because love is the first thing on your mind. If there isn't love, you spend all your time going, I'm so sorry for myself and fixing wounds that we don't even need to have because we're ineffective. Everything that we do as a church needs to be done in love. Always thinking outside yourself, committed to who that other person is. In your speech, in your action, in your fellowship, and when you're taking the hill, that you're in one accord, like one man rushing the hill. Do it all in love. Now, this is where I'm going to cut some time off, and I, I would tell you to go and, and study this. What Paul does now in the next eight or nine verses is gives the Corinthian church a view of what the battle looks like. He started with Timothy. In fact, he started all the way back in the beginning of chapter 16 when he said, put the money together. And then he said, here comes Timothy, and then he goes through all the saints. What he's doing is he's identifying this squad of people that he has mobilized, discipled. You see evangelism, you see companionship, you see fellowship, you see accountability, you see all of these things in these next verses as Paul systematically steps through and says, here is what ministry looks like. Here are converts. Thank you for sending those men to me because they refreshed my heart, and I got to refresh their hearts. And it gives a, a, a group of people that came to Christ, and it says they addicted themselves. Those of you who are in King James uh, verse. I'm not sure what verse it is. We have that this family devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, and that word "devoted" could really be translated "addicted." They addicted themselves to ministry. And so Paul goes through and shows what this looks like in those next verses. So I encourage you to go read that. I need to close up here, so we're going to skip over that. He closes things off, and in verse 22, he says a very famous verse. Evangelists love this verse. And if you read it in the King James, they didn't even translate all the words. They left the words out there. It says this. Sixteen, verse twenty-two. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is the King James says anathema. They leave the word in there. They didn't even translate it. it says here he is accursed, maranatha. If you have NIV, maranatha is translated there and says, Lord, come. So he goes through and he gives the last commands that wrap up the entire book. We're in a battle. Here's what it looks like. Be missional. Get up in the morning knowing that you are a child of God with a mission to glorify God with your life and to get these things done. And then he says, and if any man doesn't love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. That follows the word, everything you do, do in love. (laughs) And then he says, if you don't love the Lord, be accursed. He's closing off something here. The word love here is tender affection. It's phileo, not agape. So earlier on, he says, everything you do, do in perfect, unselfish love. Extending yourself. And he gets to hear and he says, If anybody doesn't have tender affections toward the Lord, let him be accursed. He doesn't ask for perfect love. He doesn't ask for perfect selfless love toward the He says tender affections. And we cross-reference this back to Peter, one of my favorite passages. The Lord has come back, he's sitting on the shore. Peter sees him, he dives in the water, swims like crazy, gets to the shore, and we have this, one of the most tender events in all of the Gospels. And Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, you know I have tender affections for you. And we know Peter, right? Peter's like 90 or nothing. And for him to say, okay, I'm kind of in the middle. You know my heart, God. I have tender affections for you. Jesus said again, Do you have this perfect love for me? Do you agape me? And Peter says, Oh, you know I, Phileo, you know I have affections for you. But there are affections that I have for you more than anything else. Good, feed my sheep. And he asked him the third time, and this time Jesus said, Peter, do you at least have affections for me? And he said, Oh, yeah, I got affections for you. And he said, Good feed my sheep and then Paul puts that out here if you don't even have tender affections for God then you also aren't going to come to him and all of this battle all of these other things that God's called you to forget it, it has nothing to do with you because the first step is to no longer be accursed It's to come to God and get that salvation. Come to God and get that forgiveness and join the team that God has called and He's going to justify and He has justified and one day He's going to glorify. That's the team God is calling us to. But if you don't have love, if you don't have tender affections toward Jesus, you're going to be accursed when Christ comes back we said this at the very beginning of, of Corinthians I remember making the line there are two kinds of people in this world those that are in Christ and those that are not and when it comes to the end that's what Paul is saying again there are two kinds of people those who love God those who love the Lord and those who do not and he ends it there let's pray God I thank you for this book it has taught me so much about who you are what you desire from us God would your word be effective in our lives would you use your word the power of your Holy Spirit to effect change in us and give us that passion God set us ablaze for desiring to glorify you And be about your business. God, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.